Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is the Crab Canon, the canon for two voices in the set within the musical offering. A short theme. Only 18 measures long. Rising, getting a little faster, and then finally falling. And now, did you catch it? This theme is being played backwards. It's approaching the beginning again, like traveling backward through time. And it ends. Or does it begin? <laughs> it is, in fact, a palindrome of music. J.S. Bach was a great lover of puzzles in music and palindromes and numerology and things like that. So it comes as no surprise that he wrote this little gem of a piece, lovingly known as the Crab Canon. And we call it this because crabs move backward, right? Or sometimes side to side, I guess, but forwards and backwards. I love the story behind this collection, the musical offering. He was visiting the King of Prussia because his son, Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, had been employed there um, as a musician of the court, and Bach wanted to I guess maybe show off a little bit, <laughs> and was asked to write something for the king, and he improvised this first theme that you hear. He was doing it on a prototype of a forte piano, now known as a piano. Bach hardly ever wrote for this instrument because it was so new, but here's a piece that you could argue is Bach's piece written for the fortepiano, this entire musical offering. So the king challenged him to write a three-voice fugue, which he did on the spot. Once that was done, the king said, all right, fine, but can you write a six-voice fugue on this subject? And Bach said, yeah, but I'm going to need a little time. 
I'll go home, work on it, and I'll send you the score. He did just that. And part of the musical offering that we now have are these two wonderful fugues, one for three voices and one for six, based on the same theme known as the kingly theme, or the tema regium. Bach wrote on the dedication of the piece to the king, Regis lusu cantio et reliqua canonica arte resoluta, which means the theme by the king with additions resolved in the style of a canon. And that little Latin phrase also each first letter of each word spells out the word ricercar, which is a type of musical genre, which is basically like an instrumental piece. So we tell the listeners, we tell you a lot to go check out the videos of the Netherlands Box Society because they're very nicely staged with great cinematography. This one, if you're ever going to check one out, this one you should really do. We have our violinist, who is also the artistic director of the Netherlands Bach Society, Shinsuke Sato, walking out all on his own, playing this first theme. And then the theme, like you heard at the beginning of this episode, is inverted, plays backwards in time, reaches its beginning as its end. But then a surprise happens. And if this podcast was, you know, like a five or ten minute format, I might just leave you there and leave you hanging and make you really want to go watch this, but I'm going to spoil the surprise because we got to talk about it because it's part of the piece. What happens after that? Well, if you really don't want to know, you should just go watch the video now, but I'm going to say it. He then plays it together with himself. Version A of Shunsuke Seito playing it forward in time and version B playing it inverted in time walking toward each other it's so it's so great i love this and yeah the way it plays with time and bach was was so all about that we talked about this in episode 24 yeah we did talk about canons already yeah and we talked about how canons sort of stretch time in a particular way even very simple ones but this is uh this is something even another level isn't it yeah so in episode 24 we talked about how that canon stretched time in the sense that one hand was playing a melody then the other one would play it again a few beats later so it's like you're kind of seeing into the future a little bit well in this one you're you're having one person basically play this tune forwards in time and the other play it backwards in time so you're seeing time from both ends here just not the way humans normally experience time which really throws you for a loop when you think about it (laughs) Yeah, you usually don't get to see all splayed out in front of you, the complete structure that is a few moments or a minute of time passing because that's not how we usually get to experience it. We're usually stuck on on the trail with it from the beginning to the end with only the perspective backwards, right? Yeah. And all of the infinite possibilities that could occur in the future all slowly collapsing into one reality that does happen and then did happen but this is different this piece is yeah i can't help but 
bring up the recent Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, which is like all about this. You know, it's about this weird manipulation of time. And if you haven't seen that yet and you like that kind of movie, then I won't spoil the whole thing for you. But there's moving through time forward and backward is part of it. And that's exactly what's happening here. And there's a sort of magic to that. But it's also a sort of brain fuzziness when you try and think about it really really hard, which happens in the movie for sure as you're watching it. So imagine trying to keep track of something happening going backwards in time. Like the brain doesn't work like that. So when we hear a piece of music like this, it really confuses us, at least it does for me, um, in a certain way. If I'm, if I'm trying to follow it that way, your brain doesn't follow things backwards in time. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't make sense. It wouldn't need to do that. Yep. Trying to follow like a physical object through time going backwards would be very tricky. You know, if you saw it on the ground and then it started bumping around and then it started floating in the air... Maybe it, maybe in forward time it just got dropped on the ground, but it would just be such a different experience going backwards, the observation of something moving the other direction through time. I think the trick is um, not just with like a mind experiment like the Christopher Nolan movie, but also with things that are actually constructed to be done backwards and forwards like this piece of music. The trick is to realize that the thing that's moving backwards was constructed with the thing moving forwards in mind in a predetermined way. Yes. This also works for the for the movie too. Yes. Like it, the problem with with our modern perspective on time and the way it flows is that we've seen all these sci-fi movies and we know that there's infinite different realities that could happen based on whatever choices we make or you know all these quantum fluctuations and but that's just not that's not what we're dealing with here at all. This is the complete opposite, right? This is almost like this is almost determinism. This is like, this construction just exists and it can be viewed forward in time or you can switch on, you can switch a switch and view it backward in time or you can flip both switches and view them the, at the same time, forward and backward, which is what right. you're intended to do, which was what Bach wanted because he wrote this adue for two parts and it's one piece of, it's one sheet of music for two parts but it's for two parts because one player starts at the beginning and goes forward and the other starts at the end and goes backward. Right. So Christian, does that mean there's no such thing as free will because everything is determined? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because Bach wrote the Crab Cannon, there must be no such thing as free will. <laughs> uh, but really, but, though... But like, really, no, because Bach chose to construct this whole thing this way yeah so, right that's exactly so, where i was going with that yeah. which which is that yeah. just this piece by bach and also that movie by christopher nolan were constructed by a an author let's call it who put everything together knowing that it would be a palindrome it's like when you create a palindrome i mean there's a lot of great palindromes out there that you can find especially longer sentences that it's amazing to read realizing that the letters can be arranged backwards and say the same thing. But when a person's making something like that, they're not just guessing at it until they, oh, I finally arrived at something that works backwards. No, of course not. They're thinking of forward and backward together when they're writing it. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yes. In fact, that's what's going on 
with any canon, but really with any music that has harmony and different linear voices, right? Because the composer can't just write one and then write a second one and hope it works with the first one. Usually that doesn't work. A composer exists out of time. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Music is an art form that has to be experienced in time. The composer, unless they're improvising, which is another thing entirely, but unless they're improvising, the composer is existing out of time, placing these notes where they want them to go, and then when the piece is performed, it is performed in time. So there's definitely a sort of connection there spiritually you can think about depending on your perception of spirituality or of God. A lot of people have theologians and spiritualists throughout the ages have thought that God is not of time. God created time as he created everything. And God does not experience time just as a fourth dimension like we do, just going forward. God has already planned everything out, you know, these kind of things. It's... it's. <laughs> I guess in a way, like I'm saying the composer could have a God complex in this way, right? <laughs> but that's not really what I yeah. mean. Yeah, the composer is the God of this deterministic, like, yeah, temporal universe, which sounds a little silly, but actually this, this thought is actually quite comforting to me because on the one hand, well, if everything in this piece of music is determined, then it's all set and I don't have any choices in how I go about doing it. But much like life, that's not really what it is, right? Yes. You still make those musical decisions or those, you know, life decisions. And if something was going to happen, it's not like you didn't cause it. You still very much have to be an active agent in the the thing that you do. That's so true. And it's part of compatibilism, which is a subset of determinism, which is like, and it's a optimistic subset of determinism. Mm -hmm. Whereas you might respond to determinism and say, uh, well, that just means there's nothing matters. None of the choices I make matters because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Compatibilism says, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but you have to make it happen still. So you're still a big part of it, like you just said, Christian. It's not an excuse to do nothing. Yeah, again, watch Tenet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, but anyways, if you if you like that kind of movie, I mean, it's definitely like not for, for everybody, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very cerebral like mind-bending movie. If you don't go into it with that expecting that, you might be disappointed that it's not something else. Right. And here's a pro tip. You, sh- you should watch it with subtitles on. Yeah, that's a whole, that's <laughs> a whole just, other topic, but need, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But anyway, I I'd like to talk a little bit about the book Gödel Escher Bach, An Eternal Golden Braid by Douglas R. Hofstadter. This book just it appealed to me right away um, when it was introduced to me by my Aunt Julie. Christian and I both, she knew that we would love this. And I've been reading, I've been getting into this a little bit, and I have not finished it yet. And it is a, it is a tome, you know. But yeah. it is great, and it's, it's hard to describe what this book is. You kind of have to experience it for yourself. But it has to do with math and music and art, just like you would expect from the title, Gödel, a mathematician, Escher, an artist, and Bach, a musician. And the book delves into things about logic systems, um, perception, um, recursive things, nested realities, things within things, computer programming stuff, 
puzzles. Just it's it's very fascinating. If that sounds like the kind of thing you're interested in, I mean, I'm not much of a computer person. It's not like a textbook. It's I mean, like the the subtitle on it is a metaphorical fugue on minds and machines in the spirit of Lewis Carroll. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic so far. So, uh, but but the reason I want to bring it up is because it perfectly connects with what we're talking about today, the Crab Canon. The author talks about the Crab Canon right away at the beginning of the book and talks about Frederick the Great and the story that I have recounted to you already. He even talks about how Bach made that Latin dedication that spells out Richard which always looked to me as a student like the word race car, and I would always confuse, and I would always be like, what's that thing called again? It's like a race car. But <laughs> as Christian and I just talked about before we started recording, that's very apt, because guess what the word race car is? Yeah, it's a, a palindrome. palindrome. <laughs> yeah. Is that a coincidence? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, but it's a great one. M.C. Escher, the artist, also known for doing a lot of sort of recursive or infinite patterns, you know, with tiles and also like pictures of scenes that don't make sense with staircases that are like, are they going up or are they going sideways or all this kind of stuff? It's just it's fantastic. Yeah. If you if you don't know if you don't know who that is, it's the staircase one. It's the <laughs> the never-ending yeah, staircases. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. And this book intersperses the chapters in which the information is presented in interesting ways with these little interludes with characters like Achilles and the tortoise. And the one I just read is called Crab Cannon, one of these chapters, one of these interludes mm. between tortoise and Achilles having a conversation. And as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. And sure enough, in the middle of it, it flips. And then they're having the same conversation, but, the, but with the opposite character and it's going backwards. And the way that it was written, just like we've talked about with all this stuff, the author's done this on purpose. The way that it was written was clearly carefully constructed so that these sentences make sense going the other way. Like one example of this is, part of this is, Tortoise, tell me, what's it like to be your age? Is it true that one has no worries at all? Achilles, to be precise, one has no frets. Tortoise, oh well, it's all the same to me. Achilles, fiddle. It makes a big difference, you know. Tortoise, say, don't you play the guitar? Etc. like this. And then later, Tortoise goes, or Achilles goes, say, don't you play the guitar? And Tortoise says, fiddle. It makes a big difference, you know. Achilles, oh, well, it's all the same to me. Tortoise, to be precise, one has no frets. <laughs> Achilles, tell me, what's it like to be your age? Is it true that one has no worries at all? So it's fantastic. It's like these words These words are given different meaning as they go backwards. Like the word fret, for instance, or the word fiddle. It's the kind of stuff that's great. Also, I love this little typographical note after the chapter. It says, those creations happen to have the same structure as the dialogue they're in. Imagine my surprise when I, the author, noticed this. <laughs> like he's saying, he, he did it on accident. When we know... As the author, he must have carefully constructed this. Isn't that what's so powerful about music in general, though, is that by its nature, it can be seen from more than one perspective. It can be played different ways. It can be listened to different ways in different acoustical rooms. It can be understood differently. And the same thing can be looked at so many infinite different ways. This is just an exercise in, I guess, proving that, obviously. But that's true of everything musical. It's a very musical idea. It's not just true of the crab cannon 
or palindromic music or experiments with inversion, temporal inversion, not to be confused with the musical terminology where inversion means uh, pitch inversion, up and down. Right. So there's Flipping all upside kinds down. of different, yeah. which is another thing that happens in the musical offering. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, these things serve to, to show me that this is like, this is just a, an example of what happens in music all the time. Even simpler music can be addressed from so many different viewpoints. Yeah. It's well put, Christian. And I think that goes into sort of the sense of the sublime that people get when they listen to really great music. Something like this is a little more literal about it, how you're seeing it backwards. Mm-hmm. But anything, anything like that, anything with music, because it's a temporal thing, and then you listen to a piece that you love, and then you listen to a different version of it later. So your memories of how that sounded in your mind are different than what you're you're experiencing next. I mean, it's it's like there's probably this sort of platonic ideal of the piece in your mind, and each version is a little bit different than it so that's another angle too that's interesting yeah it does it makes you wonder is is every musical experience just a one-off thing that was that will be completely forgotten by time and so should we just like seize the day and just try to enjoy everything to the fullest extent possible or is there something inherently within really good constructed music like this that just by having existed once is always there even if it was in the past or the future that's that's what I think, again, gives me a lot of comfort, is to think, like, if a piece of music that's so beautiful is performed once, that's a shame in one sense. But in another sense, it still happened, and it made up one small part of the beautiful tapestry that is all of sound that has ever happened and that cannot be undone. And in the, in the deterministic way, it's all connected anyway, and it all affects going into the future and maybe the past too yeah and it's pieces like this which show us a glimpse of like the inner workings of what you just said like they're they're kind of meta in that way they talk about themselves it comments on that deterministic nature it comments on that rich beautiful tapestry of art that's existed for all these millennia it's it's about time (laughs) it's about time (laughs) Yeah. And now, here is the Crab Cannon presented forward and backward simultaneously. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece and see the video and explore other videos, please see the link in the episode description. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Also, besides that Netherlands Bach Society video, there's another cute illustration that was 
created using computer software by the mathematician Jos Lees, where it shows the Crab Cannon music on a Mobius strip, just like an infinite twisted band kind of thing, which is another neat little trick. It's fun to watch. It's pretty cool. I've read an article on this from um, from the fan community of, of Girdle Escher Bach that says that the Mobius strip video, it's not actually the shape of the cannon. It's just they put it on a Mobius strip. It could have been on a strip that wasn't flipped, you know? Sure. But it's still a really cool, it's a, it's a really cool visual, you know? Yeah. So, Alex... Who will we be talking to next week? We are going to have a conversation with Dr. William Heidi, who is a longtime co-worker of mine, was my boss for quite a while um, at my church job. He has recently retired, having completed over 50 years of service uh, in music ministry yeah, to the Lutheran Church, the various Lutheran churches in the U.S., Dr. Heidi really loves J.S. Bach and has conducted many concerts of Bach music. And so he's a perfect guest for us on A Moment of Bach. Really excited to talk to him about BWV 82, Ich habe genug, a cantata, a bass cantata. And uh, we're going to talk specifically about the middle movement, which is just this gorgeous bass aria. It's great. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Masks and listen. Uh, we should do the whole episode backwards so people have to play it backwards. We should. That would be a funny joke that would be not taken very well. No, <laughs> we're not. <laughs>